Hi, it's Dune here, your host and hype girl. And before we dive into today's episode, I want you to take a hot second to reflect. What's that passion, unique experience, or knowledge you have itching to be shared with the world? For me, it's always been about guiding you and cheerleading incredible women to start your businesses. So what's your thing? You see, everyone's got something they excel at, something they just can't stop talking about. And it turns out that one of the best ways to monetize those passions is through sharing that thing with the world as a digital course product. My life's work has been to chat with more than 600, 7, 8, and 9-figure e-commerce founders. And it's through those conversations that have led me to creating a foolproof playbook and my go-to guide for early-stage founders in the form of my first-ever digital program, e-commerce fundamentals. But it wouldn't have been possible without Thinkific. The beauty of this platform lies in its simplicity. Cute templates and a super easy to use editor. No coding headaches, no tech-induced stress, just pure focus on what matters most, the content. So if you've ever been curious about building a course to teach your passion, this is the way to do it. The genuine support from the Thinkific team turns it from this lonely, confusing headache into the most fulfilling and easy project. Go to the link in my show notes to get a free trial on me. This is Leslie Voorhees Means for Female Startup Club. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Female Startup Club. I'm your host, Dune Roisin, and today I'm chatting to Leslie Means, the founder of Anomaly, a disruptive bridal tech startup that lets you create custom dresses online for a fraction of the cost of regular gowns. We're talking about the light bulb moment that led to her starting the business with her now husband, how her background in product development at companies like Nike and Apple became one of the biggest strengths of the company key advice for fundraising, and the moment that a random TikTok video went viral and generated 800,000 signups to their website in one month alone. This is Leslie for Female Startup Club. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. 
from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you want to start by telling me the origin story of your business and what made you get into the bridal industry? Yeah, so um, was not expecting to be thinking, breathing, living, wedding dresses all day, every day, um, and was actually not even planning on pursuing a career of entrepreneurship. This actually uh, emerged out of a personal frustration um, when I was shopping for my wedding dress a couple years ago. So my background is in mechanical engineering and manufacturing. I've spent my entire career uh, on factory floors, building uh, products, worked at Nike for five years before business school and was at Apple doing operations for the watch when I got engaged and started uh, shopping around at boutiques in America and realized really quickly how frustrating the experience was. It's You have to make appointments weeks in advance and there's um, uh, not very much uh, pricing transparency. So everything's very expensive and it's hard to price compare and shop around. And then I had a very specific vision for what I wanted in my dress and just couldn't quite find it. So At the time, I was traveling over to China a lot for Apple, um, mostly around in and around Shanghai, and did some research and found Suzhou, China, which actually makes 80% of the world's wedding dresses. It's this crazy hub of expertise and manufacturing and uh, silk heritage that goes back thousands of years. And it's... um, very well known, I think, in the Chinese community. Chinese women know to get their dresses made there. But walking around when I ended up visiting, I was the only foreigner and thought, like, this is a secret, I guess, that I've, um, you know, potentially uncovered and um, had a really fun time working directly with workshops there. So the, like the craft and quality um, was really, really, really high and was able to like pick out every single element that I wanted in my dress. And they made the dress to my measurements and was just really happy with the quality and the design and then ultimately the price, of course. And I mentioned this to just a couple girlfriends and almost immediately was getting bombarded with uh, requests, orders, I guess. Like, when are you going to China next? My friend's engaged. She can't find, you know, her dress. Can I connect you with her? And then it was friends of friends and then friends of friends of friends. And it was like very clear um, that other women were feeling the same frustration as me. And I thought maybe there's a a business idea here and did a little bit of research on the industry. And uh, bridal in the U.S. is uh, still 95% brick and mortar. So it's like one of the last verticals that hasn't really been disrupted by uh, an online presence. And there's also just one big player in the market, David's Bridal. And then all the rest of the market is independent, fragmented mom and pop uh, boutiques. And so there's a lot of opportunity for consolidation. So it just it grew and became more and more interesting as an opportunity. The other part, um, which was super interesting to me as an operator, was the first you know couple dozen uh, orders or so. You know, women were saying they wanted something really special and really unique and different for their wedding dress, and they were ordering basically the same dress because wedding dresses look very, very similar. Actually, the the components, like the core of the dress doesn't change much over time. It's white or ivory. There's lace or no lace. Like the neckline and straps and sleeves change slightly over time, but really like the bulk of the dress doesn't change very much. And so uh, using the dress as a vehicle potentially for um, figuring out a mass customization manufacturing model was like really, really cool and interesting to me. And um, I could already see on the factory floor how like some of these components could start to be modularized and scaled, hopefully at an efficiency of like what you see in um, mass produced garments. But there are just lots of really cool, interesting um you know, ideas that kept emerging early on when when Anomaly wasn't even uh, wasn't even a business yet that was compelling enough for me to 
take a leap of faith and, um, you know, quit my full-time uh, job at, at Apple at the time and pursue this. And so you quit your job, you've had this light bulb moment, you've been to China, you've experienced it, you've got like a pool of people around you that are saying like, yeah, I want, I want to get one of these dresses, like I'm in kind of thing. And I imagine it costs like a lot of money to develop the tech. Was the tech developed in the beginning, like right from the word go? Like what was the process, you know, from quitting your job? Yeah, it's, it's a good question about the tech because, um, I think looking at other direct-to-consumer businesses, there's so many of them. Many of them have grown astronomically over the last couple of years and also have astronomical valuations and are getting tens of millions, hundreds of millions of uh, venture capital investments. And that was something that was um, pretty striking early on was like, there has to be, I guess, an element of defensibility to justify raising venture capital and, um, and, and also trying to think about how we wanted to scale, uh, scale our operations long-term was always something that was, um, embedded in my mind early on. That being said, there was zero technology in the, in the early days. It was hacking everything together. It was, um, you know, me on the ground in China. I mean, we got married, um, my husband and I, who's also my co-founder got married on December 31st, 2016, the next day, hopped on a plane, flew to China and was basically like in China all of 2017 on the ground, like shepherding all of the original dresses through. So no technology, no scale, no efficiencies, any of that. Um, but I think, you know, for for your listeners, like that's that's how you have to start any company. And, and you can have visions of tech. And we hired people that, you know, some of our first stylists were quote unquote stylists were I would say extremely overqualified customer service agents that had operational mindsets and understood, you know, how had a vision for scale long term as well. But the first year, couple years was really, really, really manual. So it's it's talking to every customer. It's, um, you know, documenting everything in a very manual way with the intent to to have tech come and, and fold into the process eventually, which, you know, we've been slowly building um, technology like Dress Builder, which we, um, the Anomaly team took over 30,000 hours. We calculated it, detailing every single design element of any possible wedding dress and like codifying it and also um, creating a sketch. And so now we have this like amazing database that can um, formulate custom sketches and tailored recommendations for fabric and lace and all of that's automated now, but um, it, it wasn't automated for a very, very long time. Right. I, I was playing around on it before. It's really, really cool. I made like all sorts of different um, fun dresses. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. So in that first year, so I'm imagining that was then bootstrapped. It was before you went down the route of VC. It was like the MVP, you were proving the concept. You were like, you had a, I imagine like a significant customer base. And then you were like, yep, I'm going to go and knock on the doors and raise some capital now. Like we're ready to take it to the next phase. Is that what happened? Yeah, it's the the fundraising question is always um, something I, I think that's on founders' minds. I think you have to have um, a really compelling idea and really, really good demand with your customers before you can even start thinking about raising capital. I think uh, a lot of founders will get in a trap of thinking about fundraising right away. And we were pretty disciplined in terms of let's make sure this is a good idea first um, and established traction. And ultimately, um, for fundraising recommendations, which I'm happy to um, dive a little bit deeper into, if if you have the posture of not needing capital, it actually is like kryptonite for, for investors. Like they want in even more if, if you, you know, you have this posture that you don't really need it. And so by being really um, heads down and scrappy in the beginning, not posting Facebook ads or, you know, all of our traction and growth was organic because brides were telling other brides were telling other brides. And that's, um, you know, the, the seeds of virality were there in the beginning, um, truly. And, and that allowed us to continue to be really scrappy with who we were hiring and um, figuring stuff out before even um, going after uh, any capital. And then we ended up getting outreach from investors before we even had to go fundraise per se um, to get our seed capital, which was, uh, I think, a pretty blessed fundraising journey. 
for us. We had to work. We had to hustle for our Series A, which I can talk about too. But um, please do. Please talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I think I think the scrappiness and testing your ideas in a lean and cheap way, especially with your friends and in your network. If if your friends aren't purchasing your product strangers probably will not. And so those early days are just the best time to really figure out your adoption. And and if, you know, I, I think other people have personal frustrations and that's what um, spurs, uh, you know, starting a company, but you have to make sure that other people are feeling those, those same pain points and frustrations to, to make sure that there's an opportunity there. But um, yeah, so our Series A, we raised uh, a little over $13 million, uh last year, spring of 2019. And I say this specifically to other female founders. I think there's, you know, a, a reputation that it's really, really difficult for female founders to raise money. And um, you hear horror stories about pitching an idea. For us, it's wedding dresses to a bunch of mostly middle-aged white men. Um, but I think, I think this is an amazing time to be a female founder. Raising capital is hard for anyone, period. So there's no exaggerations about that. But I think the market is good investors are looking for ideas that have been overlooked. And I think recently companies paved by, uh, you know, women like Katrina Lake. I admire so much the CEO and uh, founder of Stitch Fix who had, um, you know, talks about a hard time um, fundraising. I think there's all these success stories that are around now that have paved the way for the next generation like me of female founders. And now I think investors are listening and and on high alert for these ideas. And so um, ultimately the idea spoke for itself when we were um, pitching investors. And ironically, I had a harder time with uh, female investors, I think, because there's also a new generation of female uh, VC partners that are growing into new roles, but maybe will not necessarily want to stick out their neck and take a chance on an overtly female opportunity, like wedding dresses is kind of fluffy um, on the surface. And so ultimately, our, our idea really stuck with investors that were looking for consumer technology, um, not just straight D to C, but something with some operational chops, data chops, which worked out well for us. But it's still extremely challenging and hard. And I you know, don't wish the fundraising challenges on anyone, but um, there are you know, ways that you can prepare uh, a pitch and prepare a process that can be successful. So ours was thankfully one of those success stories. It's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And I read that you guys have raised almost close to $20 million now, um, which is just phenomenal. Do you think looking back, you have anything in hindsight that you would do or recommend women not to do? like do differently or not to do at all from your own learnings? Yeah, I had a really good um, piece of advice given to me from a female partner at Sequoia, Jess Lee, who um, has made this knowledge known and I want to pass it on as well, which is that the stereotypical male founder or entrepreneur is extremely hyperbolic with their pitch and their vision. And she's seen lots of women take on a more conservative approach in terms of thinking about future uh, revenue opportunities or growth. And so her recommendation is be as optimistic as possible. It still has to be realistic. Obviously, a good investors can sniff out if it's some, you know, crazy uh, hockey stick style growth. But she um, encourages to female entrepreneurs specifically to look at your future plans through rose colored glasses, through the most optimistic hyperbolic view, um, just given that that's kind of table stakes for, for venture capital pitches. And I think that advice was really helpful for me. Also, I'm, I mean, I'm an introvert. I'm an engineer. I'm not necessarily, I don't think the most charismatic or um, charming, uh, you know, entrepreneur. And so I really thought of going into pitches as potentially like a job interview where you have to, to step into a role that's like a little bit bigger than yourself or play, play a part that's like, you know, you plus plus. And I think that um, also helped me in terms of being really energetic and energized um, coming into pitches was really like kind of putting on armor and taking on an even bigger role than myself. Also, because you get a lot of no's. I mean, almost every single pitch will end with a no. And so um, preparing yourself mentally to, to take on that battle and like kind of be uh, step into like having a little bit more presence than you normally would, I think protects also your heart at the end of the day. Cause it's like someone telling you your, your baby's ugly over and over and over again. And oh, so God. I think that also <laughs> helps, you know, you, you have to co- constantly be convincing other people, your team, yourself, yourself. that this is a good idea in order to, yeah, in order to really make it. And so I think just mentally preparing for that too can really help. When you have to go through that rejection, what did you do to, you know, keep your mental health like healthy? Well, you know, I just imagine it must be really a shitty time until you get that yes. And then you're like, well, until you get the term sheet and the money. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think, um, I think that's why expectation setting with yourself at the beginning is really, really important. So expecting, most people will say no. It's like with uh, breakups, you can believe, um, believe the no, not the reason people will give you reasons for not investing. And you just can, you should just ignore those believe that they're passing. Um, And then for me, it was carving out a specific amount of time to this is for our series a, which I would highly, highly recommend for other founders as well. Fundraising can take a really long time and it benefits you as a founder because your time is so precious. Um, and also in terms of momentum or interest in the deal to consolidate it as much as possible. But uh, venture capitalists are, um, you know, th- they want to extend the timeline as much as possible to understand what the deal looks like and you want to condense it as much as possible. So for me, it was um, I knew I maxed out at about four pitches a day. So I would max out my schedule with four meetings a day. And then almost nothing else. So you have to be ready to hand off all your day-to-day activities to your co-founder, um, you know, someone else at, at, at your company and just expect that it's going to be a full-time job. And then I would recommend um, just know what, what brings you energy or um, 
feelings of like sereneness for me at sleep. Like I need a lot of sleep. I think there's, there's this uh, rumor that entrepreneurs don't get a lot of sleep. I, I needed like eight and a half, nine hours of sleep during fundraising. And that was my like escape. I think people, you know, go for walks or go with their family or do whatever, like can um, rejuvenate you. But that was my approach was like, I'm going to get nine hours of sleep every single night during my series. But then you're refreshed coming in the next day. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. It's, um, it's one of the hardest things. Um, But again, if you go in expecting that, that venture funds are pitched you know, um, five or six deals every single day, potentially more, and they make a handful of investments a year. It's like, it's a numbers game. So you just have to be ready to give that pitch a lot, dozens and dozens and dozens of times to find the right fit. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. That's, that's definitely a full-time job. (laughs) Um, I want to talk about your marketing kind of after that initial phase where you had all of your you know, the word of mouth customers and you started to be like, okay, now we're going to scale and we're going to start going beyond. What was that time like? And what kind of strategies did you use to acquire people at scale? Yeah, we continue to see good organic uh, word of mouth virality with our customers. We're lucky that we're in this really special event in a woman's life that's also like very photographed and very shared on social. And so we really, really leaned into social sharing. And um, uh, it also helps that weddings, um, the pockets of vendors are like these little communities. And so by posting a picture on our, our Instagram page of a wedding, we could tag the photographer and the wedding planner and the hair and makeup artist and the venue and and then they shared. And so there was this great um, community of virality just within these like local localized pockets of uh, wedding vendors, which worked really well for us. And so leaning into that early on was helpful. We've got this like great evergreen content machine too. We, I mean, in the early days, we didn't have any dresses and not any money either. So we hired our, um, we had some soul cycle instructors that were beautiful and had amazing bodies that we like, Hey, can you come wear these samples? And like, that was our first photo shoot. But after that, once we started having weddings, we had free um, advertising essentially and free models. And I, I think the, the beauty of it too is uh, potential customers could see that they were real women. Like they, you know, so, some of the women were, uh, you know, didn't have a model body, but like you could tell that they're so happy. It's this like amazing day. And our product is the centerpiece of, of this day. And so really, really figuring out um, a, a social strategy, including posting a lot. I think some um, brands are hesitant, you know, only post like one post a day or like have this beautiful curated feed. We were like, we're throwing it all out there. Like, and I think the good thing about Instagram is the algorithm works on, it doesn't punish you for posting a lot. So we post five or six times a day. We go on live, like Instagram live, we go post tons of stories. And so um, using the content that was free, I think helped a lot and compounded our, our social presence. And then that also helped once we wanted to start paying for advertising, Facebook and Instagram continues to be a really, really good channel for us. Women usually identify with their relationship status as engaged. So they're easy to find and market to engage women, you know, want all of the content. They want to do research on Pinterest. They want to like scroll through all the pictures. So they're great. They want to look through thousands of things. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, um, so that continues to be, um, a really good avenue for us. And then, um, the other thing I would recommend is just through, um, keyword SEO. Um, we started a wedding blog, maybe within the first year. And I was thinking, oh, the world doesn't need another wedding blog, but it ended up being a really, really great way to tap into these local markets. So we would uh, post about these local vendors. And so it helped tie Anomaly's name to different cities. And so when women are searching, you know, custom wedding dress, Chicago or custom wedding dress, Charleston, like, uh, we can tap into those like local markets with the, with the blog SEO keyword strategy. So that also helped and was a cheap way to 
to advertise since um, there's a lot of like tips and tricks with the keywords. So you don't even have to pay for Google ads. That's amazing. And I, I, um, I saw, I was watching that video that went viral on TikTok of that woman that mentioned Anomaly. And oh, um, I think I read that you guys were getting like 20,000 signups that day after she posted it or something, which is yeah. just crazy. Did you know it was coming? No, we had no idea. We were actually just talking about this last night because um, it's the type of thing that you could, couldn't even pay for. We couldn't have like... You can't plan it. Yeah. Yeah. It was um, it was truly a viral thing. So she posted and it, there was a, a viral event that happened in TikTok. And then the the sound, I don't know if you... I, I've had to like learn all about TikTok and be on there with all the teenagers. The sound then went viral. And so it 10 x again. And so last month we had almost 800,000 people sign up in the, in the month, um, in one month, it was, it was like getting to be 10 to 15,000, uh, people a day over and over and over again with spikes of like 40, 50,000 people a day, just enough that like the engineers were going crazy. Our site was crashing. Everyone on TikTok was like, it keeps crashing. Like we were giving everyone a terrible experience, but, um, it was, it was a really good lesson for us just given, a lot of the TikTokers are younger, so not even our customer, not engaged women, but the idea of having a tool to create a custom sketch and starting to plan out, you know, dream about your wedding dress was, um, I, th- I think it reinforces how compelling this idea is. Um, so it was, it was kind of exciting, terrible for our conversion rates. Our conversion rates plummeted like <laughs> <Yeah>. 0.001% <laughs> or something now. <laughs> Um, exciting to just, uh, you know, feel, um, a part of the excitement of the idea and like what, what dress builders like moving to with, with this visualization and custom sketches. So, yeah. And I imagine it opens up a lot of ideas about like, okay, well, what can we do for the younger woman before the wedding moment comes into her life? So whether it's prom or, you know, those kind of events in a younger woman's life. Totally. And you look at like the success of Pinterest, which has a massive market cap. They're essentially a wedding dress search engine. And it's like, why is that so valuable or compelling? There is something about this, uh, you know, dreaming towards your future wedding or planning out um, different uh, important garments in a woman's life, quinceanera dresses or prom dresses. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's an important customer for us, even before she's, she's, technically engaged. (laughs) Absolutely. What is your main piece of advice for women who have a big idea and want to start a business? Yeah, I think, um, I would absolutely encourage women to chase after the idea. Time is of the essence. And so I think if you have, if you have an idea, there's no necessity to, I hear a lot like, well, I'm taking this job because it's a stepping stone. I want to do this and then I can, you know, get the knowledge that will be required to start a company. I think absolutely not. Like the best thing you can do is try out something now because it, there's never a good time to quit your job and go all in on an idea. And I think the longer you wait, probably the less likely you are to chase after it. Um, and, and then also I would say, again, back to the scrappiness point or um, the bootstrapping point is, is if you can test your ideas in a cheap way on your friends, ideally, they're a really good um, testing ground to, to figure out ideas and what works and what doesn't and figure out, you know, your biases for what you would want as a customer, but what would other people want? And before even bringing in capital to the equation, there's a lot you can do with zero dollars. For instance, Instagram is an amazing tool to reach customers. You do not need any dollars for your ads to, to reach people. And um, I think working with ways to be scrappy in the early days is is the best way to test out ideas. And then also, um, I would recommend make sure it's something that you really love and are passionate about um, because you're going to be, again, thinking about it, dreaming about it talking about it all day, every day. My husband and I joke, we're probably just insufferable with our friends because all we do is talk about wedding dresses um, at dinner parties. And when we're hanging out, you know, it's, it's just, um, it has to be something that you live and breathe. And 
be willing to to think about uh, a lot. And again, like convince, be ready to convince other people of this idea. And so if you're hesitant or like you have to be ready to like go all in and, and make a big bet on um, on the idea because investors, potential, um, you know, people that you're recruiting for your team can sniff out if there's like any, you know, worry or um, being less compelled about this idea. And so you have to be ready to just sing it from the mountaintops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Get on top of the hills and shout about it. Yep. <laughs> Custom wedding dresses for us. <laughs> Custom wedding dresses for everybody. <laughs> um, okay. We're at the part of the podcast where I ask you the six quick questions. And number one is what's your why? I would say I have two. One is um, our customers. It's just such a happy event to be a part of. It's the most important garment arguably a woman will ever wear. And the most exciting, fulfilling part of the job is when brides send photos, either of when they try it on for the first time or from uh, the wedding. So our anomaly Slack channel is like chock full of like, I got back, you know, wedding photos from my bride from a couple months ago. And so it's, it's like, the most fun thing to be a part of. I will never, ever get sick of looking at wedding photos and happy customers. So that's definitely a why. And then another why, um, and that maybe people don't talk about this much is you can get a lot of financial gain. Like you can do really well. It's a very, very, very small chance, but the hope is that this is wildly financially successful. And, um, you know, we're, my husband and I are committing our lives to this, so we're not diversified in any way, but the hope is that, um, you know, this will really hit someday and we can hopefully retire early and explore other ideas. But, um, it's a, it's a big bet on making it big as well, which I, I think is really fun and exciting. I've been financially independent um, and, you know, paid my way through basically everything since I was 18. And so the idea of total financial stability is also um, really compelling and interesting to me. So that's, that's also why we're trying to do something really, really big. I love that. Um, and I'm so on board for that as well. I think it's like so important to think about the the money side of things and and what you want for your life and what you want for your future um, potentially early retirement. (laughs) Number two is what's the number one marketing moment that made your business pop? And we probably already know the answer. It was the TikTok thing. I'm trying to think of what, um, it would have been before that, which is we've been lucky enough that, um, influencers, we ha- we haven't ever had to do any sort of influencer, um, strategy or partnerships because, women love posting about the experience. If we can give her a really, really good experience, she will post about it on her own. Um, but then yeah, TikTok, uh, this TikTok event where this woman just posted about, um, going through dress builder and getting this highly customized sketch that went crazy. It was so funny on the ground, like with the team, because half the team was the engineers figuring out how to like uh, like our site was crashing and the data reliability. And then the other half of the team was like, what the hell is TikTok? What does this even mean? Does someone have a TikTok account? Like, what is this? Cause we're all, you know, over the age of 25. So how long did it, it was, take you um, to figure out that it was the TikTok video? Cause it, I imagine at first you were like, okay, what the hell is happening? Like something's happened here. Well, we, it was such an uptick. So it was, it was over 10 X what we had ever seen before in in terms of signups. So we knew it was something either PR related, like some article had come out or it was something with social. And so, yeah, we, we dug around, we went to Facebook, Instagram, TikTok was probably the third or fourth thing that we, we looked at, but, um, yeah, it, it took a little bit to figure out where, where this is all coming from. And I forgot to ask you this before, but I, I'm just going to slot it in here and break the format. How do you guys find your um, PR efforts? Because you guys have incredible press, you know, you're in the New York Times, you're in Forbes, you're in TechCrunch, you're in these amazing places. Does that drive traffic that's significant for you? Yeah, which was a little counterintuitive to me um, early on. I was thinking we should push for, um, you know, press in consumer outlets, Vogue or Vanity Fair, you know, the bridal magazines. Um, but what's really cool is the the biggest lift we've seen is from our original TechCrunch article. Um, and I think it just shows that our brides are 
you know, smart, savvy. They're looking for, you know, new cool ideas and probably like me are frustrated and smart enough to understand that the industry is really antiquated. And so surprisingly, the the business and tech outlets have been the most uh, successful for us. Yeah, that's awesome. Really, really cool. Um, the New York Times piece is a really cool one. Thank you. Um, yeah, that was, oh, I remember when that came out, I was just sobbing. It was so cool. I was just thinking so about cool. my parents. Like my parents now finally, I think, understand what I'm doing all along. They're like, are you sure you should have quit your job at Apple? <laughs> yeah, of course. And then I was like, once we were in the times, it was okay. <laughs> yeah. They're like, okay, here she is. Show all the friends. <laughs> Send it out. Um, question number three is where do you hang out to get smarter? Ooh, that's such a good question. I have found podcasts uh, recently have been um, obviously like physically, you can't really hang out anywhere right now, but um, there are so many interesting podcasts. And what I really like about that, I used to be a voracious reader. And of course, being a, a startup founder, you have very, very little free time, but I love having, I always have my phone with me. And so the 10 or 15 minutes that I'm getting ready in the morning or winding down at night, I can listen to a podcast and feel slightly more educated. Um, there's a lot of cool founder stories. So like how I built this, um, I really love hearing other, other founder stories. And then I'm a big radio lab fan. So some like weird sciencey snippets. So, um, I do not really read the news. My, um, husband reads the news a lot and that's kind of how he, gets educated, but, um, I love, yeah, I, I love smart podcasts. So I'm, I'm all on board with <laughs> on the podcast stream. Yeah. Podcasts are great. I feel like I can consume a lot of podcasts when I'm teetering around the house, like doing, yep. doing mindless things like cleaning. Um, yeah. question number four is how do you win the day? And that's around your AM and your PM rituals that keep you feeling happy and successful and fulfilled. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned before, I need a lot of sleep. Um, in the early days of the company, I was not getting a lot of sleep and I just feel like I can approach the day with so much more, um, creativity and resilience if I've gotten a good night's sleep. And so, um, PM routine, I always take a bath or shower at night. So my hair can dry when I sleep. So that's one productivity hack. And then, um, uh, also just having like a, a wind down time where, uh, I like do not talk about work after a certain time in the evening, which is hard because I'm married to my co-founder and all we talk about is the business. And so being really, um, purposeful in, in terms of like cutting off a time, um, in the early days, it was impossible. Like we talked about it all, all the time, but just more recently we're able to like create a tiny bit of separation and then AM routine. I am like just incoherent until I have at least like two cups of coffee. So I'm all on board with, uh, um, having quite a bit of coffee and, uh, also not, um, when I was uh, fundraising, I would try and put uh, schedule all of my pitches in the afternoon. Cause I feel like that was when I was most creative and powerful. And so if you can start to track throughout the day when, I mean, some people are morning people, some people are evening people. I'm like 12, like noon to eight, I'm like on fire. So that's like when I plan all of the hardest stuff. And then in the morning, I'm more checking emails, doing, you know, uh, like kind of grunt work when I'm not like as in the zone. So I, I think the scheduling thing is real. Like your body, it has cycles. And so if you can understand and like, at least like be aware of what those are, you can plan out your days, um, to be the most productive. Yeah. And that's definitely the benefit of, um, working on your own business because you're able to do these kinds of things. I also find that for me, mornings are just like not the best time. And I'm like way better in the afternoons, like after lunch onwards. Yeah. Which I was laughing because this started at 8.30 my time. I was like, okay, I'm going to have to get up oh, really early no. and have coffee. So hopefully I'm bringing oh my gosh, more I'm energy so than I normally would. No, no, no. <laughs> the time something is real. I mean, we uh, usually it's flipped because um, we have uh, a team in Hong Kong. And so it, we have to like really ramp up at night, um, you know, to be able to overlap with them at all. So that's usually when I'm, you know, like thinking the most about, about time zones. But. Yeah. For me, I'm like, 
I'm pausing all the kind of Australian podcasts because it's like really early in the morning and I'm going back there. So I'm like, I'm going to do all that when I'm like back in Australia. Whereas now I'm like, focus on like this side of the world and America and like <laughs> focus in the afternoons. Oh, I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Question number five is if you only had $1,000 left in your business bank account, where would you spend it? Oh, um, I would probably, am I allowed to split it up? You can. It's okay. a hypothetical I question. Do, <laughs> <laughs> I would do half to Instagram and Facebook ads are, have been absolutely wonderful. Like I said, when, once we started, um, paying, doing paid ads like that, it's just such an efficient way to reach customers. We've, we've tried other things like going to wedding fairs or going other routes. And it's just uh, on a dollar by dollar basis. It is so efficient for reaching real, like really good customers. So I would do half, I'll do half to Instagram. And then the other half, I, would probably give to our stylist team, which, um, you know, is a bit counterintuitive for us because we're really, really tech focused. That being said, we can never, uh, automate away the interaction with a human for something that's as important as a wedding dress. So we're never like, we're never going to have a completely tech, um, a hundred percent tech experience. And so I would probably send the rest to our stylist team because, uh, those women hustle and like love talking to brides. So I would, I would, you know, send it their way so we can continue servicing brides, especially where, where we are now. I, I joked because in the early days, everything's so manual and now we're so tech focused. There's still a lot of manual components of our business. And so being able to keep that up and running. Um, yeah, that, that's where it would, that's where it would go. Pe- people, people on Instagram, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, great answer. hundred percent. Good people are key. <laughs> Question number six is how do you deal with failure? And it can be around a specific experience or it can just be your general mindset and approach towards it. Yeah. I think, I, I think this is a trait that's fairly common with most, if not all successful entrepreneurs, not, not that I am one yet, but that you have to have such, such thick skin and resilience to deal with failure. So the ups and downs, I I, I can't think of any one particular moment because there's been so many. I mean, how many this week, how many yesterday? It's like, it's a complete roller coaster. So I think, uh, again, like uh, acknowledging what's happening in your body when that, when that happens, like giving yourself a break, like, understanding that they're going to happen and continue to happen. And that doesn't necessarily reflect on you as a founder or a leader or your business traction, just being ready for that uh, and bouncing back, which I, um, there's a lot of information out there. I'm trying to think of the book specifically. I I can follow up on um, resilience and how it can actually be a skill that you can develop too. I think there's a common misconception that you're like built as a resilient person or not, but it's actually something that you can develop over time. And so there's nothing more humbling than being a founder, but being ready for those ups and downs and, and developing that resilience and being ready to just bounce back in. Cause there's going to be after the low, there's going to be something happy that happens, receive a bunch of wedding photos or something. So you've got to be just ready to ride those, um, those waves. So for sure. I'd love to get the name of the book from you after this sometime because yeah. um, I'll link it in our, in our resources. Oh, um, I love to get the recommendations of what people read and, and all that kind of thing. And I also just wanted to say, you just said a moment ago that you don't think you're a successful entrepreneur yet. And I tend to disagree. <laughs> Oh, thank you. That's crazy. I, you definitely are. Well, I guess, and maybe that's the nature of a startup is like, you're always thinking about the next thing and you don't really have time to look back and reflect on how far you've come. It, when we do do that in Anomaly, it's like, oh man, things were really crazy then, but maybe we're doing okay now. But then I continue to look back and like, no, actually things were really crazy then. And hopefully things have like more steady state right now. But um, no, I think I think we're just thinking about um, our growth and our future and servicing more brides. And so it's always like kind of what's next and we're not quite there yet, but that's 
what's so um, motivating and fulfilling about uh, about having your own journey, being able to to blaze your own trail as, as a founder. For sure. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I have loved meeting you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Hey, it's June here. Thanks for listening to this amazing episode of the Female Startup Club podcast. If you're a fan of the show and want even more of the good stuff, I'd recommend checking out femalestartupclub.com where you can subscribe to our free newsletter. We send it out weekly covering female founder business news, insights and learnings in D2C, and interesting business resources. And if you're a founder building an e-commerce brand, you can join our private network of entrepreneurs called Hype Club at femalestartupclub.com forward slash Hype Club. We have guests from the show joining us for intimate Ask Me Anythings, expert workshops, and a group of totally amazing, like-minded women building the future of D2C brands. As always, please do subscribe, rate and review the show and post your favorite episodes to Instagram stories. I am beyond grateful when you do that. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's June here. Thanks for listening to this amazing episode of the Female Startup Club podcast. If you're a fan of the show and want even more of the good stuff, I'd recommend checking out femalestartupclub.com where you can subscribe to our free newsletter. We send it out weekly covering female founder business news, insights and learnings in D2C, and interesting business resources. And if you're a founder building an e-commerce brand, you can join our private network of entrepreneurs called Hype Club at femalestartupclub.com forward slash Hype Club. We have guests from the show joining us for intimate Ask Me Anythings, expert workshops, and a group of totally amazing, like-minded women building the future of D2C brands. As always, please do subscribe, rate and review the show, and post your favorite episodes to Instagram stories. I am beyond grateful when you do that.